Hi, uh, my name's Tom Tooland. Uh, I'm the father of, father of the abducted child, Rianne Francesca Tooland. Rianne was abducted to Poland in August 2018. She was abducted by her mother, uh, Editor Sonte. Rianne's abduction was unlawful. It's actually criminal. Uh, I've not seen my daughter now for three years, over 900 days, no contact at all. Uh, I love and I miss my daughter terribly. And this is my story. Hey everyone, before we get to today's episode, I would like to inform everyone that Find My Parent just released their app in both the Play Store and App Store for you guys to try. If you want to know more about the app that is designed from ground up to facilitate reunification between separated parents and children, please visit findmyparent.org app. All the information together with how to download, how to get involved, in our beta group, just testing and also giving us feedback so that we can build the best app for you guys is available on our page. Now, without further ado, let's get into today's episode. Hey, Tom, thank you for taking the time to be on this particular podcast. My first question to you is, what are your values around having a family or being a dad? I just want to know that because a lot of people will say without even listening to your story that, oh, maybe you are a bad father. That is why your wife decided to abduct the kids from you. So we need to address it within the first, you know, five to 10 minutes of this podcast. So let's just do that. Uh, uh, well, I suppose it means it meant different things to me at different times in my life. Uh, now, uh, the kids are everything. Uh, everything I do is for the kids. Uh, and my wife and my family, uh, and to the point where I actually gave up my career to look after my two little boys, uh, and that was a choice that that we made. So fa- family's really very important to us and to me. Right. And um, let's talk about how the alienation and abduction happened, okay? So before that, uh, one of the questions that I have here, is that can you talk a little bit about your partner or ex-partner yeah. and how did you guys meet, how that relationship start? You can take it any direction you want. Yeah. You can you can tell me the full story okay. or you can be brief about it and I, I will prod more, okay. but it's up to you. Okay. Sometimes uh, people don't like me interfering while yeah. they're telling the story. Yeah. So I tend to like see what direction they want to take. I can also ask you questions to go deeper, yeah. but I'm going to start off generally by asking like, hey, how, how was that relationship? How did you guys meet? Yeah. Was it a good one before everything went to shit kind of thing? Yeah. Okay. No worries. So uh, I met Editor Santa through a, through, a through a friend while I was doing my master's degree in London. 
it, 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 it's, I think we, we, we were so different that it was different, if you know what I mean. So her background being from Poland, uh, in, in reality, is one of, of a farmer or a farmer's daughter in a country when she was growing up that was very uh, governed by what Russia did. So very suppressed, very suppressed. Uh, she had two brothers and sisters, and like all brothers and sisters, they did what they do, what brothers and sisters do. Uh, our relationship uh, at the beginning was she didn't she wasn't really interested, uh, and I I pursued it really. And although all the signs were there uh, in terms of red flags, uh, for whatever reason, I ignored them. And uh, one day she just came home from where, uh, and I came home from university, and she said can I come and live with you uh, in, in, in Suffolk? And I agreed. So that's sort of, so sort of a, a bit of a strange development. Anyway, uh, one thing led to another. Uh, she got pregnant. Uh, she didn't want the baby. She made it clear to me that she didn't want the baby. But uh, Catholic faith meant that she was going to have the baby, but what she did is she made it very, very clear to me is that it would be me who'd be looking after the baby. And in the main, that was because uh, she just started a new business. Uh, she was devastated. She became pregnant because she, she wanted to focus on her business and make her business a success. So, uh, and, and that's basically what happened, really. She carried on working for as long as she possibly could. Uh, she had the baby. Two weeks later, she went back to work of her own volition. And uh, I worked from home because uh, at the time I was an engineering, education and environmental consultant. So uh, I could I could do most of my work at home. And now and again, I would have to have to go go to meetings and so on. But that's where we came to, really. Then subsequently. She got more and more involved in the business. And I helped with the business, doing all the machinery machinery repairs and keeping her vehicles on the road and stuff like that. But in essence, I'd become a single parent. Uh, she And I mean, all credit to her, she worked every hour she could. She worked really hard. She was very, very good at what she did. She was very well respected. Uh, but... Uh, she wasn't inter interested in our daughter. And at the time, I put that down to possibly uh, postnatal depression, stuff like that, but it never changed. And then in the end, uh, it, 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 was, it became too much, really. Uh, yeah, yeah that's, yeah, that's where we are, really. Hey, mate, I'm just going to prod a little bit deeper about what you just said. Because you were explaining the beginnings in quite uh, with quite a lot of details, but towards the end you said that you, she got pregnant and then there was the whole post-pregnancy depression and all that. But you didn't explain what exactly happened. Like what kind of behavior were you seeing? What are the things that you were putting up with? Do you mind explaining a little bit more? Yeah, I mean, okay. So 
when she so she had no attachment to the baby when the baby was born. Uh, she showed little or no interest in the baby. Uh, uh, she had no parental what's the word? No bonds. She she couldn't she couldn't develop a bond with the baby. And whether that made well, it, clearly it probably made things worse. Uh, and she just abdicated it, abdicated really. Uh, and 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 I looked after the baby. Uh, she did do the baby at night time mainly because she was breastfeeding. Uh, but after the two weeks, uh, she stopped breastfeeding and, and the baby went on to bottle. So I did it all really. I don't, I, I'm not sure. She didn't talk much about being depressed because I suppose her background from Poland, that's not something they probably talked about a lot in Poland. They just work and get on with it. They don't particularly express their feelings. Um, so oh, clearly there's always the exception to the rule. But she, she just didn't engage in the relationship. She didn't engage with the baby. She just wants to go to work. And whether, it, whether that was her way of coping with, with whatever was happening to her, I don't know. Uh, she got very stressed out. But the stress appeared to be related to work. She... Uh, because you couldn't have any stress with the baby because she was never with the baby. Does that make it, 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 Does that sort of answer the question a bit? It's it's hard to say because I I I, I couldn't get inside her head. I, I I don't know what was going on. Yep, I know it's really hard to talk and also explain about these things. But with that said, I do understand what you're trying to say. Now let's move on to my next question. How did it make you feel as a father and husband while you were going through this and looking at the state? What did I feel? Uh, I just felt lonely, really. Uh, I, I, I was on my own without a break with the baby 24-7. Uh, that's, that wasn't a problem. Uh, you know, I, just, I felt lonely. I felt isolated. We, we lived in the countryside. Uh, uh, the, the area we moved to, neither of us had any friends there, so I had no contact with anyone because uh, all my friends are all over the country. Uh, so I just devoted my time to looking after Rian, really. And Rian, and and what happened is Rian and I developed an extremely close bond, and in reality, that was probably to the detriment. Of of uh, uh, of the of the mother really because Rianne would got to a point with Rianne certainly when she was uh, one and a half two that she didn't really want anything to do with her mum because her mum had nothing to do with her so Rianne and I did everything together we did all the shopping together we went swimming together we went on our days out together now and again mum would come. Uh, a sole, a sole interest in his work, really. Right. At this point of your story, we know that your daughter is not that close to the mother. And the mother was busy, you know, doing a business. Okay. There's nothing wrong with that, but that's what was happening. 
I'm not here to judge anyone, but did you see any red flags or anything else while all this was happening that an abduction was oh, about to happen? Well, hindsight's a wonderful thing, isn't it? Uh, so when we separated, uh, I would stop seeing my daughter almost immediately. Then we agreed that I would be allowed to see her every other weekend. I wanted to take my daughter with me, uh, but the courts in the UK tend to favour the mothers, uh, and the chances of me getting custody of Rian were zero, really. So I thought the best place for my daughter would be fair to try and build a relationship with their mother and for me to see her. But the mother stopped me trying to see my daughter. So I went to court to get access to my daughter. And then at the same time, she applied to court for permission to take my daughter to Poland. So uh, we had three hearings in, in, in Cambridge in the United Kingdom. Uh, where all the evidence uh, was examined, including allegations made against me, which I was exonerated uh, exonerated from. And the court, on, on their decision, said that Rianne could not go to live in Poland, that it was not in Rianne's best interests for her to go and live in Poland, and that Rianne was to remain in the UK. Three months later, Rianne was abducted. Now, in that three-month period, we had another court case because uh, whilst the mother didn't appeal a court's decision, because I'd been given so much time with my daughter now, she didn't agree with this, so she tried to get that changed. That was rejected. Then she hooked up with a, another man uh, who promised her a job and a home. So she vacated uh, at the three-bedroom house she had uh, in preparation to go and live with him. He changed his mind and withdrew the job offer, withdrew the, the, the accommodation, and she became homeless with my daughter. Didn't, she didn't tell me any of this, by the way. This is, all, this is stuff that's all come out in court. Uh, so she was she was due to go on holidays to Poland. I'd already said to the court that if she went to Poland, I didn't think she would come back. But the court said that she's allowed to go to Poland for a maximum of 28 days. But all the signs were there that there was something not quite right. When she made herself homeless, she wouldn't tell me where she was living. Uh, and then she did. And then she moved to another location. She wouldn't tell me where it was. Uh, and then eventually she did. My daughter was coming with me and saying to me that we're going to Poland soon. Uh, uh, Mummy's going to build a house and, and all those sorts of things. But I had no, I had no evidence. I, I had nothing to go back to the court with other than what, at the time, a three-year-old child was telling me. And I challenged those with the mother. I, I would text her and say, Rianne says you're going to Poland. Uh, and the mother would text back, text back and say, no, we're, we're, we're staying in England. We're staying in Haverhill, Suffolk. 
we're not going anywhere. We're just going on holiday. And then uh, with the help of my daughter's nursery, uh, my do- she abducted my daughter. And that was probably the day my whole life changed, really. At half seven in the morning, on the morning I was to pick Rihanna up from nursery for her to spend her last week of school holidays with me, I got a text message saying that uh, we're not coming back to England, I'm staying in Poland. And at that moment then, the whole world changed. Everything changed. I can't begin to describe describe the feelings. You know, it's one thing sort of knowing it's going to happen or thinking it's going to happen. The reality of it actually happening is something totally different. the, The panic, the what do I do, who do I talk to, uh... Uh, everything goes up in the air. And, and and of course, at that time, I never knew what parental alienation was. I never knew what parental alienation using child abduction was. Never heard of a thing called a Hague Convention on the civil aspects of international child abduction. Never heard of a process called Brussels 2A for the enforcement of court orders in another country. I didn't know any of that. And more to the point, I didn't know how much help I would not get. I mean, I've had no help. Uh, When I contacted the police, uh, they told me that they couldn't do anything for 20 days. Uh, Those 20 days passed and then they... They said, well, your daughter's not abducted. You know where she is. You know who she's with. And I said, well, that's not true. I don't know where she is. I have an idea where she might be. So Essex police would not pursue a child abduction case. And and the police hid behind a thing what's called the Nikolai problem, which is an issue specific to the United Kingdom, where a parent can pretend to take a child on holiday and decide not to come back. And rather than child abduction, that's called uh, illegal retention in a foreign country, which means the abducting parent can't be charged with a criminal offence, so you're stuck in a civil court in England and internationally. Uh, I knew it was premeditated because once she got to Poland, the first thing she did was try to remove my parental rights as a father. Uh, I never saw any of the court papers. I just got a decision from the court in Poland saying that they'd refused to remove my parental rights. And it took me two years to get a copy of those court papers in which I started to find out more evidence of what had been going on. Uh, I then... I then went through the legal process then, uh, which is called the, 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 the civil aspects of international child abduction using the Hague Convention uh, to try and get my daughter back. Uh, I won my case in February 2019. 
My daughter was ordered to return with or without her mother. Two weeks later, the mother refused. She appealed. We went to the Warsaw Appeal Court. She lost her appeal. Uh, we started enforcement. She went into hiding. So she was on the run with my daughter. At the same time, my daughter was diagnosed with post-traumatic stress disorder, which I really struggled with because she was five years old. My five-year-old daughter is struggling with a mental illness associated with the people who go to war and come back traumatised. That, that's how I viewed PTSD for my daughter. That's how severe I thought it was. Uh, she then involved a Polish MP who contacted the Polish children's ombudsman who then made an application to the Polish Supreme Court for what they call a cessation appeal and that is an appeal to overturn the decisions of all the other courts. She lost that appeal, and again, my daughter was ordered to return to the UK. Uh, the mother ignored the court's uh, the, the court orders. At the same time in the UK, the, the UK courts had ordered my daughter's return. Uh, the High Court of London ordered my daughter's return and made Rianne uh, a ward of court, which means ultimately the courts are responsible for my daughter. But it didn't make any difference because I still got no support. And uh, it took me three years to get the evidence to convince a different police force that my daughter's abduction was a criminal offence. And and now that's that's the route I've got to pursue. Uh, uh, and sort of in a nutshell, that's where we are, really. We're, I'm almost at the end of that legal road. I've got one more court hearing under a, under a piece of legislation called Brussels 2, 2A, actually, which is, is for the enforcement of court orders issued in the United Kingdom to be enforced in Poland. Uh, but there's been problems with that because I've been excluded from two of the hearings and the Polish court have now decided to make a decision in camera. So I won't, I've no idea what's going on. And of course, during all this period, uh, I've had no contact with my daughter. The last time I had contact with my daughter was on the 4th of July, 2019. Since then, we've gone. We've had a global pandemic. Uh, I've no idea if my daughter's been ill, uh, if she's been safe. The mother took her out of school, so the police couldn't find her. Uh, and the courts uh, just don't want to know. Really, no one wants to know. You just you're on your own. You're on your own financially. You're on your own. You're on your own. There's nothing. Uh, even even organisations like Fathers for Justice UK, I spoke to them and they said, "Well, there's nothing anyone will or can do for you." So you just 
left to your own devices, really. And uh, yeah, you just you just get on with it. But there's a price to pay for that. There's a high financial price. So we've lost everything financially now. So we had to sell all the cars. I had to draw my pensions down 10 years early just to pay solicitors' fees in the UK and Poland. All our dreams of having a house, owning our own house and stuff like that have gone. Uh, the dreams we had for, for my stepchildren and my two boys have gone. Yeah, Tom, I'm so sorry all that happened to you, but how do you feel through all this? I, I'm just wondering how as a man you're holding on because it's quite heavy, everything you're saying and how you've been all the way to, you know, just your last dollar kind of thing. It's how hard. You feel? It's been hard and it continues to be hard. And the only way I can describe it to people is it's like having a death of a close relative or someone you love so much it's unreal but they're not dead. So you go through the same process of denial, anger, coming to terms with it, trying to live with the loss. But you get people like me or me, I get stuck between depression and anger and helplessness because as one door opens, another door closes. And as each door closes, it takes a bit more away from you. It, it makes you tired. You become exhausted. You can barely function sometimes. And of course, your whole being is focused on what can I do to get my daughter home? So when I go to, the last thing I think of when I go to bed is my daughter. The first thing I think of in the morning when I wake up is my daughter. I spend most of my day doing things, but in the back of my head, my head's working to work out, is there anything else I can do to get my daughter home? I dream about my daughter. You get people who come along and say they're going to help you, and they don't. I had one guy who, who, who was uh, a friend of uh, my wife's family, said he was in the armed forces, and he could help me get my daughter out. Six weeks, he carried that on for until I called him out it was just a lie six weeks I wasted uh, taking his advice and I, I, and I wasn't paying him so what did he get out of it just some I don't know people are sick sometimes they just don't they just don't get it get it yeah I agree especially when you're trying to you know get back your daughter you know try to be with her again it's kind of infuriating when people waste your time. I totally understand. But I'm sure, there's, I'm sure there were people who did help you. Am I right? And some people do try. I mean, I, 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 there, there are some people I can... There's probably about 10 people, I would say, that have been absolutely phenomenal and keeping me afloat and trying to help me. But there are some people who... They're... they're They've done everything they can to, to stop it. The, the brother of my ex, he tried to extort money from us 
uh, we managed to get some publicity in Poland about my daughter's abduction. And he phoned up the radio station and asked the radio station if there was a reward for information leading to my daughter's return. And the radio station said, uh, the reward is the smile on my daughter's face when she sees her dad. But he, they passed on the contact details. And at the time, we didn't know it was the, uh, my daughter's uncle. So they, we had a conversation. And they, they tried to get us to transfer money to his bank account for the purpose of giving information as to where Rianne was located. And then, because of the words he was using, the language he was using, because he was he kept on dipping in of dipping in uh, into Polish and English. I checked the phone number and found out it was uh, my daughter's Polish uncle. Uh, I reported that to the police, but the Polish police haven't done anything. So, and there's things like that. He, out of a crisis, people are looking to exploit the crisis, not to your advantage, to your detriment. Um, and I now know why so many parents commit suicide when they lose their children, whether it's through child abduction or whether it's through parental alienation. The the pressure, the financial pressure is incredible. The emotional pressure is phenomenal. And to survive, you have to be really robust. I mean, it's like fighting, I don't know. It, even now, talking about it, my head is going to explode. It's that. It's that painful. The stress, and uh, but the thing is, is because your child isn't dead, you mourn. You mourn the loss, but you have this thing called hope, and hope is is usually a good thing. But hope can be can be a heavy weight to carry because every day you live in the hope that you're going to get a phone call saying, we found your daughter, come and get her. And then, and, uh, uh, and then, then nothing happens. I mean, for example, there've been four attempts to recover my daughter. Each attempt has failed. The only realistic attempt and I mean realistic in terms of honesty and integrity by the Polish authorities to recover my daughter was the first one, the first attempt. And even that, the people involved did not want to do it. It was clear they didn't want to do it. The last attempt, which was on the 26th of October, 2021, uh, I got that email that said, we found your daughter. We know where she is and we're going to recover her. And the sense of elation and, and, and hope that you're actually going to see your daughter again 
I mean, I can't describe it. It's like all your Christmases coming at once, all your birthdays coming at once, everything that was good in your life all happening at the same time. And then I go out to Poland and then I start getting the emails from the various people, from the UK government, from the Polish authorities. And the day before my daughter's was supposed to be recovered, I wrote an email to the UK Foreign and Commonwealth Office and I said to them, my daughter's not going to be recovered tomorrow because she already knows we're coming for her, the abducting parents. And we turned up at the farm. Uh, and the extended family at the farm, my daughter wasn't there and the mother wasn't there. And the, and the extended family behaved if it, as if it was normal to have a play, police raid uh, at 10 o'clock in the morning on a working day. They didn't stop doing anything. They just carried on with their normal life because they knew they, the police were coming. And they knew they had nothing to worry about because they've been tipped off. Now, that's why I mean when I talk about hope. You have your hopes built up so high, and then those hopes are gone in seconds when you realise the reality that you don't have the support of the Polish authorities, the police. They're not really interested. They're just going through the motions. And at the same time, you've had to leave your country, go to a foreign country. Uh, you've had the financial expense of getting out of there. On that night, I slept in the car because I didn't get to I didn't get to Poland until like 11, 12 o'clock at night. So I just slept in the car. And it's hard. It's really, really hard. Uh, another example, I talked about the Brussels 2A court hearing. The first hearing for the Brussels 2A court hearing was on the 26th of October, 2021. Uh, at that court hearing, I asked the judge if I could see my daughter. And the judge said yes. And I arranged it with the mother's attorney because the mother didn't turn up at court because if she'd have turned up at court, she'd been arrested. Uh, the attorney made a phone call and they agreed that I could see my daughter that afternoon after court. I changed all my travel arrangements. Half an hour before I was supposed to see my daughter, I got a text message from my ex's attorney saying, you can't see your daughter. And you just, you start to, you start to lose the will to live because how much more can you take? How, how much more can a person take? I raised, I look after my daughter from two weeks old I've been made out to be some kind of monster. I don't even know if my daughter knows I'm alive. 
I don't know whether she's going to school. Uh, I don't know anything. I mean, I didn't. I don't even know what she looks like anymore. Last photograph I had was in 2019. You know how fast kids grow up. I mean, and it's it's difficult. It, it's and the thing is, I can't, I can't, I can't stop. I can't stop looking for my daughter because what happens when my daughter's a bit older and she goes onto the internet and she finds out that since 2018 her life has been a lie and that all the people who said they loved her and were there to protect her had lied to her. They'd lied to her about their dad, her dad. Uh, they lied to her why she was in Poland. They lied to her about why she couldn't see her dad. And I know that that burden, when 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 a child is uh, from usually around about 10, 11, 12, realises one of their parents has lied to them, can have a devastating impact on our child. To the point that some of them go ahead and kill themselves. Some of them suffer severe mental health issues. And people say to me, it's time you gave up. And I can't give up because, as far as I'm concerned, my daughter's abduction was child abuse. There was no reason for my daughter to be abducted. No reason whatsoever. No reason in law. No reason in emotional, psychological, physical terms. There was no violence. Nothing. But she did it. She abducted my daughter. She was going to hurt me. And hurt me, she has. But but what about my daughter in all of this? We talked a lot about me. What does my daughter think? What will my daughter think? Even if she doesn't realise it now, what if she gets to 16, 17 and 18 and then the light bulb comes on and she goes, I don't remember my dad being the monster I've been told. Why didn't, well, why wasn't I allowed to go to my dad's funeral if indeed that my daughter's been told that I'm dead? How does a child process, process that, that information? I mean, my daughter was a happy, bright, intelligent little girl. She, she never spoke Polish when she was in the UK because her mother didn't. But my daughter learn to speak Polish fluently in three months. And that was quite remarkable. So remarkable, it was commented on in court. And, and the point being made is that if my daughter can assimilate another language in that period of the time, then she can acclimatise to coming back to the UK with or without her mother that quickly as well. Uh, there are other things like when we were in court, I was asked to put a financial package together to allow the mother to return to the UK. I was asked to find accommodation, schools, which I would have done anyway, 
support her in the job, support her getting government benefits. And the package came for quite a lot of money. And the package was for the period of three to six months minimum. So me, well, I don't like saying this because I don't really see myself as a victim. The victim is now having had to pay to go to court to get his daughter returned, is now having to pay the criminal to come back to re- so everything's returned to normal. And that just seems wrong to me. And it's ro- and, and the thing is, is <laughs> I'm not the only father. Now I speak to fathers all around the world. I've had children abducted a lot to Poland. Spoke to a guy last night. His two kids were abducted from Iceland to Poland. A month or so ago, I spoke to a guy whose kids were abducted twice from Ireland to uh, Slovakia. And once your kids are out of the country, the chances of you ever seeing them again while they're children are zero, I would say. Uh, um, you mourn the death of a living child every single day because they're still alive. There's no closure. You can't, can't not think about them. And then you start to think about your own mortality and you think, actually, am I going to live long enough to even see my daughter again? Will I die before I see my daughter? You know, I'm fit and healthy. I don't have any problems. But what if I die before seeing my daughter again? How's my daughter going to feel that she didn't get to say goodbye to her dad? How am I? Well, I I won't feel anything because I'll be dead. But as you go down that pathway of dying, how stressful is it going to be that the one thing you want to do is make sure your daughter knows that you love her and then you've tried absolutely everything humanly possible to find her, but you failed because other people think they know better? How 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 do you how 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 do you process that? How do you deal with that? And the reality is, you can't really. You have to stick it in the back of your head, or in my case, I stick it in a box, put it in its drawer, and with a bit of luck, for a couple of days, I might keep the drawer closed. But when you're least expecting it, one or more drawers open. And all the emotions come out. On a bad day, they come out as anger. On a good day, they come out as depression, fear, helplessness. Hey, Tom, it's really heartbreaking uh, to hear what you have been going through. And I'm really sorry that all that is happening to you. Now, while you were speaking just now, I took some notes and I would like to go deeper into certain parts of the story that you just told us. 
first of all, why do you think your ex-wife decided to abduct the daughter compared to sharing the custody with you? Because you said that uh, he went homeless and broke and all that, right? It would have been easier for her, for her to share the custody because that way she can lessen the financial burden at minimum. So why do you think she took the decision to abduct the child compared to sharing it with you? So, well, she abducted my daughter because her relationship with her new boyfriend failed. Well, because she made herself homeless because she gave up her, she ran her own business. She gave up her business, gave up her home and had prepared to go and live with a man she didn't really know with my daughter. When that failed, I believe it pushed her over the edge. Although she got temporary accommodation, she didn't like it. And I think in her head, she thought, this is my daughter. I will do what I like. And I'm going back to Poland. I don't care what the courts say in the UK. This is my daughter. And I'm taking her back to Poland. Because I know I can go back to Poland and live with my family in the, in the farm and no one can touch me. And on top of that, I get the bonus that I'll make sure dad doesn't see his daughter again. It's, very, it's, it's just, it's, it, it's vindictive. It's, it's using the child as a weapon. You know, I, during the court cases, uh, in 2018, 19, and 20, every time I went to court and I was allowed to see my daughter, then she would do everything she could to get more money out of me. Bearing in mind, I was already paying child maintenance while Rianne was in Poland, although she'd been unlawfully abducted. The, the UK Child Maintenance Service carried on taking money from me. I didn't have a choice. They just did that. Uh, but every time I went to Poland, she was always asking for money because she needed the money to pay air solicitors. So in essence, I was playing for air solicitors to fight myself. Bizarre. But now, you know, she's had time to think. And she's not changed. I still don't see my daughter. No telephone calls. Because it's just pure vindictiveness. And because they can. And no one's stopping them. And if there's no penalty, if there's no consequences, when you do something wrong, people carry on doing it. And Poland is one of those places which is a hot spot for child abductions from the UK, certainly. I think in 2019-20, there were 74 abductions to Poland from the UK. That's a minimum of 74 children. I have no idea how many have been returned. Uh, 
at one point during the court proceedings, I actually thought she was mentally ill. The court thought she was mentally ill. And at that time, they, they said my daughter was at risk. At risk of, of harm because they didn't know where she was. She wasn't in school. She wasn't where she was supposed to be. But even that, the court saying to the Polish police, this child is at risk, made no difference. And interestingly, in late 2019, there was a parent who killed both children rather than give those children to the other parents as ordered by the court. That's how messed up it all is. That parents would rather kill their children rather than do the right thing and do shared parenting. There's something dreadfully wrong with society that thinks that thinks that's okay, that that's acceptable. And the sad thing is, it happens to more dads than it does mums, certainly in the UK. Uh, but, you know, going through any court proceedings is stressful at the best of times. But when it's about his child, I can send you loopy. So I get it. I do, I, I do understand why she'd lose the plot. I do understand why she'd hate me. But the thing is, I never wanted to take my child away from her. I just wanted us both to be in the UK and for me to be able to see my daughter as directed by the courts. I just wanted to be part of my daughter's life. I, I don't think that was a big ask, really. Too big a ask. Uh, and of course, everyone would have benefited because she could have carried on with her business or with her new relationship. And Rianne would have been happy. Um, we, and as it turns out, everyone suffered. Absolutely everyone. And more importantly, my daughter. And their suffering is going to last her lifetime. Because remember, you know, I'm 58. If I'm lucky, I might get to 80. But my daughter is eight. So 72 years, if she dies at 80, she'll carry this with her. 72 years, that's a long time for a person to come to terms with what someone else did, erasing their father from their life. Thank you for that answer. You know, just now you mentioned that there were people in your friend circle and family circle who did help you through the crisis, you know, through the whole abduction. If you see the profile of listeners for this particular podcast, there's a big chunk of parents who are listening. But there's also like, you know, uncle, aunties, brothers, sisters, uh, new partners, grandfathers, grandmothers of the victims, of people like you who are listening as well. So what kind of advice or what kind of, you know, lessons that you can give them so that they can better support the people who are going through similar so, things in their life? 
when the abduction first happens, everyone is as horrified as you and everyone wants to help. Uh, and, and I wouldn't say they'll do anything, but they'll certainly listen to what you've got to say. But it depends how strong your, your friend network is, really. Uh, but at the end of the day, everyone gets bored with it. And how I've I found other fathers who, who have either been through it or going through it. Uh, and ironically, I found them on Twitter, bizarrely. And they're, they're guys, men, men and women, who uh, have helped me as best they can. Advice, guidance, support. My wife has been absolutely brilliant. Uh, but she's paid the price as well. But I think the one thing you've got to remember is everyone has their own life. So while she might want the support, you're not guaranteed you're going to get it. So you need to go and find that support, whether that's from your doctor, close friends, because you, you, what you've got to remember is after the separation, the people you believe were your friends may no longer be your friends. Uh, and information is power, so you have to choose very, very carefully who you confide in. For me, it was better to talk to people who knew nothing about me, who took who took things on face value, uh, and you have to try and find the support groups, uh, people like Fathers for Justice and their equivalents in other countries. But he, he, I joined a load of groups on Facebook but I also found that I couldn't bear to listen to other people's stories because some of them were worse than mine it's hard it's different for every person you've just no one really understands parental alienation no one understands parental alienation using child abduction you don't understand it until you've gone through it so consequently there's not a lot of support out there, proper support, I mean. Uh, and if you look at mental health in the UK, while, you know, we don't pay for anything, it doesn't mean you're going to get any support. Uh, well, until you decide to commit suicide or something. So, and I'm probably different because I decided to keep my own counsel um, because I didn't want to burden people with my problems because they had problems of their own. So I just kept things to myself. So I'm probably not a good example in that respect, really. Frequent listeners to our podcast will know that normally we, co- we cover abductions from Japan and also US, right? Because those are the markets that we are really in. But your situation here is a little bit different. Yours happened... Uh, in in Europe, and the abduction was to Europe, right? So I'm just wondering, is there anything that you can tell our listeners who are going through similar situation as yours? Any advice that you have in handling abduction cases in Europe? Okay, so if your child's abducted, 
the first thing you need to find out is your legal status as a parent. Are you actually a parent of the child in the sense of legally, is your name on the birth certificate? You need to collect evidence of everything and anything because you never know if you're going to need it or not. You need to keep things to yourself. You, you find trusted people you talk to. You need to do your Hague Convention application. It is fairly straightforward. You need to get yourself a good solicitor, the best you can afford, because you won't win otherwise. Uh, if your child has been abducted to a country in Europe, you need to contact people like uh, the European Union. The European Union's coordinator on children's rights, or European Parliament's coordinator on children's rights, who at the moment, ironically, is Polish, because they may be able to make a diplomatic inter intervention on your behalf. Didn't make any difference to me. They did it twice, but it didn't make any difference to me. You have to find lots of money because your solicitor's bills are going to be horrendous. Uh, you're going to make yourself ill, so you need to find a doctor. And you're going to get angry, so you need to find a way of dealing with the anger. need to stay away from alcohol and any recreational drugs because it'll just take you on a spiral downwards. And then how it worked for me is I couldn't leave my daughter without her dad. My job to look after my daughter. So you do whatever you need to do to get your daughter home or your child home. And that may not always be seen as the right thing to do. But given I have the benefits of hindsight, I could have saved myself a lot of time and effort if that if I'd have gone down a slightly different route. Following uh the success of my Hague Convention case. Well, I don't have, I, that's hindsight. And I, I mean, in private, I do give advice to parents and, and that advice is fairly succinct and to the point, but it's not something I would say publicly. But, uh, uh, because it's not seen as the right thing to do, really. Yeah. As I mentioned just now, your situation is relatively unique to this particular podcast because you are in in Europe, okay? Now, with that said, I'm wondering what's your message and what's your ask to the elected officials, the government bodies, and those people who are supposed to be helping people like you? And I know that you briefly mentioned the Nikolai problem. Can you also elaborate a bit on that so that the listeners have a better idea on what you were talking about? I always believed my, that my daughter's abduction was a criminal offence. It was a criminal offence under the 1984 Child Abduction Act, which me, 
and there's specific sections. And basically, if a child is abducted without or taken out of the country without the permission of parents and or the court, then that is a criminal offence. However, in the UK, there's a thing called a Nikolai problem. And Nikolai was a court case where a parent had taken a child out of the UK on holiday and didn't bring them back to the UK. The other parent went to court uh, and, and the court decided that the child hadn't been kidnapped because the removal of the child was for a holiday. It wasn't premeditated in terms of it was a kidnapping. That means you've lost all criminal power. And in the UK, the police will hide behind that because they haven't got the resources. They don't really understand it. They don't really want to know because they've got a piece of law which says if someone takes a child out of the United Kingdom on holiday and don't bring them back, that's not a kidnapping. That's called illegal retention. And that's dealt with in the civil courts under what's called the Hague Convention or the Brussels 2A uh, legislation. In the UK Law Commission did a report in 2014 on a number of issues, but one of them was the 1984 uh, Child Abduction Act. And in that report, they made recommendations that the Child Abduction Act be changed to close the legal loophole. That was in 2014. So Eight years, 14, eight years have passed and nothing's happened. Eight years and they've made no change to that Abduction Act on, on, on uh, yeah, the Abduction Act on the recommendations of the Law Commission, the UK Law Commission. And what makes me really angry is that when the legislation was drafted in 1984, when they passed the legislation in the Houses of Parliament, they knew there was gaping holes in the legislation. They knew that the legislation was not robust. That was 36 years ago. Successive governments have failed to address the Nikolai problem in whatever form it takes. And ultimately, it's a child protection issue because if a child is abducted, that is child abuse. And everyone goes on about protecting children. And when it comes to parental child abduction, for whatever reason, that's not considered to be criminal. And part of that is because of the false allegations that are made. And that's why I say, when your child is abducted, be prepared for the worst and you may get through it because the worst cannot describe what is going to happen, certainly if you're a man anyway. So the, one of the things 
I want to do is is get the Child Abduction Act changed in the UK. Uh, luckily for me, I've got a meeting with a government minister at the end of January 2022, and I'll be taking with him with me the Law Commission report and asking him for his support. Other things that need to change is when a parent, whether whether it's a father or mother, reports a child is missing, it's not for the police to become judge and jury. The police are there to do a proper, full criminal investigation. Because if they do, if the police have done a full and proper criminal investigation, in my case, they would have found out that my daughter's abduction was premeditated and consequently it was a criminal offence. And at the time, we were still in Brexit. Sorry, we were still in Europe, a member of Europe. And that would have made a massive difference to whether my daughter would have come home or not. But the police didn't do their job. I had to do it for them. And I had to find another police force. So then we get on to the Hague Convention. So the Hague Convention is really nice. Except for one thing. It's not really worth the paper that's written on. Lots of countries have signed up to the Hague Convention internationally. But a lot of countries pay lip service to it. The Hague Convention is only as good as the enforcement that takes place. And whilst the courts may carry out their duties robustly, if the operational side of things, i.e. the police, the social workers, the people appointed by the court, in my case, it's called the curator for the Polish curator, do not support the court's decision. They will do everything they can to frustrate the return of your daughter to their place of habitual residence. Uh, And you need the support of government. You need the support of government locally. You need it nationally. You need it internationally. And as has been demonstrated in Japan, because in Japan, child abduction is awful. Small things can change. And one guy's hunger strike to get access to his children is now starting to snowball into something quite different. And Japan, as a, as a nation, are now being made accountable for their actions and their failures. But the same needs to happen with other countries, countries like Poland, who think that it's okay to abduct a child. It's okay to ignore the law in your own country and in the country where the child was abducted from. And what I find ironic with Poland, and I know I'm going off, off track a little bit here, but there's a politician in Poland who recently on Twitter boasted that in a cessation appeal with the Supreme Court in Poland, they overturned a decision for the return of two children to Poland, uh, to England. 
and he boasted that those two children will, will now be kept in Poland rather than being returned to the parents in England, although it was proven in court that their abduction was unlawful. A politician boasted, a senior politician in Poland boasted about that. I think that's awful. I think that's absolutely disgusting. Uh, so, hey, convention needs to change. The European Commission, who, who, I'm, uh, who I'm dealing with, are investigating Poland for their failure to comply. But whether they've got any teeth or not to do anything, I don't know. But there are so many signatories to the Hague Convention. Those signatories need to stand up and say, we enforce, why aren't you? But there's no political will to do it. Because parental alienation and parental alienation using child abduction is one of the last great taboos, I think. And no one has got the guts to deal with it properly. And there are a lot of reasons for that. Some, some of them are about genders and some of them are historical. But until those issues are tackled, parental alienation is going to carry on. And what people really, really don't understand is they're destroying the next generation of children. So you get into this thing of behavior breeds behavior. So it's, it's a bit like if you're in an abusive relationship, the chances are you'll go into another abusive relationship or you become abusive yourself. So if you abduct a child, you ignore the law, you run to a different country, when that child grows up, if they can't rationalise what's happened, the risk is they do exactly the same thing. And, and it goes on. So national law needs to change, certainly in the UK. International law needs to change. Child abduction has to be seen in the same way as we see child trafficking because it's, it's the same, the abuse is the same. It's just that it's not recognised as such. And if, if countries like England are really supposed to be committed to looking after children, then there shouldn't be a problem with this, but there is. And it's people like me and, and the, the other guys and, and, and ladies I talk to that are trying to make a change. And there's one, one lady specifically I would like to mention. Her name is Jan James. She works for Parental Alienation UK. And, her, and she's dedicated to raising the profile of parental alienation and the devastating impact it has on children and on the, on the, and on the left, left behind parents. And people need to support her because she supported me and she support, supports a lot of people. But government needs to listen. It's not right, it's wrong. We're actually purposely 
destroying our children and, and we can stop doing it. If you watched a child in the street being abused, would you walk by? I don't think you would. Most people wouldn't. Yet our governments, governments around the world, do every single day. And it's within their power to do something about it because they are our elected, elected, elected representatives and are not representing our best interests. We know that we have a lot of listeners from EU who are listening in as well. If any of y'all have any connections with people who can make a change or any of the people that Tom mentioned, please forward this podcast to them and have them listen to it. Now let's move on. If your ex-wife or anybody who helped her in this abduction is listening, what message do you have for them? What you would like them to know? So the people who, who helped Edda Sasanta, whether it's in the UK or in Poland, you may believe that you were doing the right thing. And some of you even believe that you were doing God's work. But the one thing you must understand is the person you believe you're trying to protect, i.e. my daughter, Rian, you're not. And you're going to cause my daughter a lifetime of trauma. And I don't know whether Rianne would be strong enough to deal with that. And you have no right to inflict that trauma on my daughter. You have a moral and ethical duty as an individual, as a parent, as a grandparent to make sure that my daughter gets all the love that is available to her especially the love from their father. Every child needs a father. Every child needs a mother. Every child needs grandparents. You need to stop. And the children need to be allowed to see their mums and dads, their grandparents. Because you're doing so much damage you have no idea. And at some point, I believe that you as the supporters of a child abductor or a parental alienator will pay a price because one day it might be you, your sons or daughters, or you might actually be the grandparents who's no longer allowed to see their grandchildren. And that is just, just devastating as well. All right, Tom. My last question to you. I know Rianne is eight now. One of these days, she's going to take, you know, a phone or a device and then go to Google and Google a name at least or Google your name. And there's a high likelihood these podcasts will rank within the first page if she does that. Now, knowing that, what message or what you would like Rianne, your daughter, to know? Hello, Rianne. Uh, just wanted to say hi. I hope you're okay. I hope school's going well. Hope you still got your curly blonde hair. 
I want you to know something, and it's really important, that since the day you went to Poland, every minute of every day, I miss you, and I've been thinking about you. I love you, your brothers love you, and we miss you terribly every single day. And one way or the other, I will find you. And I will explain to you why I did what I did. But I've not finished yet. And I'm still fighting for your right to choose. To choose to have a relationship. To choose to have a relationship with me, your dad, your two brothers. And I won't give up that fight because I love you and I miss you. But most of all, I hope you're safe and well and happy. I'm loving Miss Yurian. I'm sorry. All right. All right. As usual, my last question Is there any message that you want to tell our listeners? Anything? it's your space now you can you know pluck your own website or anything that you want to say it's up yeah. to you okay so uh when you enter into a relationship with another pair with another person very rarely do you think about the consequences of when things go wrong but unfortunately things do go wrong and it's painful, but it's painful most of all for the children. So whatever happens in your lives, it's your problem, not your children's problem. And you need to sort it out amicably. The children need the love of both parents, not just one. And for those who are going through this now, Don't stop fighting because it'll be the one thing that determines success and failure. Success being you see a child again, failure being you don't. It's not really failure because we're all human and we all have our limitations. Everything you see and do, you will learn from. So help others if you can, if you're able. Because there's nothing more painful than this. I'd rather you lose a leg or an arm than go through this. And to be fair, I wouldn't wish parental alienation or parental alienation using child abduction on anyone, not even my worst enemies. It's horrible. So when you get into a relationship, Make sure you know who you are as an individual. Make sure you work in your relationship. Don't hurt your children. Just don't hurt your children. It's not fair. They never signed up for it. And get help. Wherever you can. Help and support. Thank you. 
All right, Tom, thank you for taking the time to be on this particular podcast. I'm grateful and also hope that this particular interview helps all the parents out there who are suffering from the same situation. Now, I would like to remind everyone that our goal here is to share knowledge with you guys and show that you're not alone in this. With that said, if you need specific legal advice, please get your own independent advice from a qualified legal practitioner. If you're a minor or if you happen to have difficulties in understanding certain parts within this episode, please approach a responsible adult or someone knowledgeable in these topics and ask them for clarifications. We have done our best to make sure that it doesn't offend anyone. And if you have further questions or comments or feedback regarding Find My Parent or this interview, you can always email me at sk at findmyparent.org. If you're someone who got separated from your own parent and would like to find your parent again, please go to findmyparent.org and fill out your details. With the help of our smart algorithms and matching technology, we hope to help you find your alienated parent again. If you're part of an NGO or even a private company passionate about this topic, please reach out through the contact us page and findmyparent.org and we hope to work together with you. All right, folks, that's it for this week. Speak to you next week. Take care till then.